0: Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics is brought to you by Shortbox. Shortbox is the easiest and safest way to buy and sell graded comic books. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. And they're doing a giveaway right now where you can win a free copy of the Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing uh, with a foil cover. And this one is signed, Kevin, get this, by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, rated 9.8 quality. Those guys had something to do with that comic book. Yeah. So to win that, go to shortbox.com slash screw it. You'll be prompted to enter your email. No purchase is necessary. And you'll be in the running to win that comic book. This contest is going to run until March 10th, 2022. And by entering, you'll also get a free promo code for $15 off uh, purchase if you're interested. Great. Download the Shortbox app on iOS or Android today. Or tomorrow. Or do it tomorrow. Yeah, no rush. Sometime this week. Screw it. Screw it. We're just about comics. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like, and that something is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother. My name is Kevin Hines. We're back from our break, Will. Yeah, pretty exciting. Are you well rested? Are you ready to really get into some comics? I sat at the microphone since our last episode, waiting for this moment, and I really Gosh, mis- I-, I really misused the break. I wish you hadn't done that. You should have hung out with your family. Uh-huh. You know, Christmas happened. Yeah, I bet. Because it's yeah. been almost a month. Yeah, my back hurts. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I have uh, soiled myself. Well, it's too late for you to take a break now. So you're going to have to wait till we get this episode done. <laughs> That's fair um you sound the same i gotta say for your, your oh. energy level seems ex- incredibly the same for having starved yourself i mean i'm very excited to be talking to somebody so i had no i had no idea we've been exchanging emails in that in that time you didn't mention yeah. well I'm, I'm sitting at a computer it's very easy for me to email people hmm. well I'm, gl- I'm glad you're so devoted to the podcast kevin um we got a lot of announcements. This is uh, a. I mean, we're, this is our mailbag episode. We're doing a mutants and mailbag episode. We're going to talk about X Men issues one fifty one to maybe one fifty four. Also, it's the beginning of a new season, and-, and and the season is Dark Knight Returns. This is confusing, as always. the The of <laughs> Comics is a mess, but uh, yeah, every other episode will be mutants and mailbag, which like this one. But then, starting next episode, we're also going to be covering the yeah. four. We'll do four episodes every other week to cover the four issues of the Dark Knight Returns. Probably also starting with an X-Men ending. So there'll be uh, like five X-Men episodes towards our four Dark Knight episodes for our Dark Knight episode season. Yes. X-Men overwhelms everything else we do. X-Men is slowly taking over, just like it did in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, But Dark Knight's very exciting. Those episodes, we recorded them so long ago, but they're great. It's one of the best comics ever, I think, came in 1986 by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen and Lynn Varley. And it's one of the most critically and commercially successful comic books ever. One of the greatest Batman stories ever. Certainly one of the most important and impactful. Um, and we're we love it. So we were excited to talk about it. Yeah, you know, We talk about it a lot for those four episodes, so that'll be starting next week. This week is again a mailbag mutants episode, yeah. And we also have another announcement to make, which, uh, if things go as planned, you've already heard in our pre roll. We have a uh, a partner now, yeah. Uh, Short Boxed reached out to us. It's, it's Short Boxed is a, a comic book related property, and we were like, This is a really exciting partnership, it's gonna be, I think, really kind of cool. Shortbox if you don't know is like where you can buy and sell graded comic books. They like make sure that they the quality is as uh advertised and the website is really uh got a lot of information about all the issues. So if you are a collector and someone who's like, man, I want to get like a good copy of this or that, Shortbox is is where to go and we're and we're psyched yeah, and as Will said, they're graded. So that means these are the ones that are sort of uh, in like solid plastic, like by CGC. They come with like a, a number rating on a scale of uh, zero to ten. I guess zero would be no comic inside. I guess zero would be yeah, the comic has disintegrated, but we're just going to yeah. remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sort of an <laughs> NFT. <laughs> just, it's just a memory uh, in case zero, plastic zero is probably not the way you want to go. But oh I, yeah, I, don't buy a zero <laughs> zero zero point zero. <laughs> That's on there. <laughs> I don't mean to tell you how to do your business, but I wouldn't buy that one. Although if you're going to go low, you might as well go all the way. there, And it's got like an app, uh, iOS and Android. Uh, yeah. I, I got it through the Apple app and it's great. It's very easy and fun. Yeah. So we're we're excited and they are, they're, they're doing a giveaway for us uh, for the Dark Knight season. They're giving Not for away... us, it's for you, our listeners. No. Oh, other other people are allowed to enter? I, I thought it was just entering? between you and me. I thought just you and I would be the only ones who entered and one of us would get this. No, no. It's a contest I think is for people who listen to us, not us, Will. Oh, okay. That, that makes more sense. So they're giving away a great comic, Kevin. Uh, a copy of The Dark Knight Returns, the 2018 edition with a foil cover, signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen, rated 9.8 by the by the grading system. Pretty good, right? Yeah, by the gods of the grading system. They they deemed it a 9.8 yeah, because these- of... Uh, Supernatural beings come down from the sky and give these numbers. So they're very, yeah. they're very official. I mean, it's, they're godlike. They know what they're doing. I mean, that, yeah, so it's in really, really near perfect condition. It's valued at over $300. Uh, yeah. and it's a really cool comic and you can get it for free. So what you do is you go to slash screw it and you just enter your email. No purchase necessary. They will send you a coupon for a $15 credit to use at shortboxed if you want. But you don't have to use that. You can just enter your email and uh, try to get this. Yeah. Pretty exciting. It's really exciting. Um, it's super simple to do. Hopefully, everyone's going to enter this who's listening. We want to encourage them to do more giveaways. So yeah, We want to trick them into keeping this partnership going. So it would really help us if people enter. It. And Kevin, this runs until when? March 10th. March 10th, 2022, this year. Yeah. So, so starting now, if you're listening to this in yeah. the present, and that will go till March 10th, 2022. If you're listening to this in the future, well into the future, You missed it blew it. You blew blew it. it. If you are, if you are like the dark Knight set 20 years in the future. Yeah. uh, It's not for you, but everyone else in present day, it's great. If you're just like Bruce Wayne, where you retire from caring about comics for 30 years and then come out of retirement because a bat flies through your window and scares you, you missed it. That's what happens in the dark Knight returns, Kev. Yeah. Um, I should read it. I, well, I kind of, maybe just Kevin and I will enter it. it'll be between us, but, uh, Hopefully, some of oh. our listeners will enter this giveaway too, and someone will get a nice copy of uh, the nineteen, the twenty eighteen edition of Dark Knight Returns. I think you're going to win it now. If it's between the two of us, you're going to win it. You're better at entering your email than me. <laughs> what a weird thing to be insecure about. <laughs> um, okay, so we're getting into um, our mutants, part of our mutants and mail bags, uh, issue one fifty one through probably one fifty four. Kevin, what's the overview here? What, what just happened? What 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 happened to 150? Where were where the were Magneto leaving battle? 150 is the big oh, right. fight against Magneto. This where, is like like, the big... He's really evil, but when he worries that he's killed Kitty, we see a softer side of him and Storm is like moved that and this is where Magneto starts to move from full villain to like right. you know, nuanced villain, anti-hero kind of guy. <laughs> and he escapes off panel. If and I just recall. he's they just let him go. <laughs> like, no problem. <laughs> Uh, that seems to be becoming a trend in these X Men comics that nobody is punished. So just
1: the I'm battle finishes, realize, and
0: the villains the villains go their separate ways. As we've done covered so many comics in this podcast, a lot of issues just huge battle, huge stakes, and the ending is like just shrug your shoulders, and be like, "eh, we'll worry about it later." Yeah, like, that's a pretty common ending. Uh, so this issues is, we're kind of cover a few issues about um, Kitty going to the Hellfire. School, the Hellfire Academy, run yes. by the Hellfire Club. Uh those are pretty fun issues, pretty fun idea. And yep. then we have like a weird fairy tale story that Kitty tells I love Liliana. It. Yes. And then uh, we have the beginning of like the next big arc, if we get to it, which is a Star Jammers, uh Imperial Guard Shire, Shiar, not Shire. Uh, <laughs> I always uh, say how- Shire in my head first, but it looks like it's Shiar. Yeah, Shiar, um kind of space thing, which I think. You got to you got to assume that's a big Cockrum thing, that like they were in space when he left the book, and now they're going back to space now that he's back. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, but that's sort of uh, we're sort of, sort of we're sort of in between big storylines. We have like a couple little storylines as we're gearing up for the next big one. Now, what do you think of these overall? Because we're solidly in the post Burn era. What do you think about Claremont without Burn? Yeah. Um. I'll say like. Uh, my favorite one was that last one, the one that goes back to space. This the first two parter which actually Cochrane doesn't even draw. It's a, a fill in artist Bob McLeod. Yeah. Uh the Hellfire one felt like a cool idea um but it almost felt too rushed like I wanted it to to really explore Kitty going to the Hellfire Academy. It really doesn't do that at all. Okay. Um but it's it's an okay. It's like cool idea, not quite much happens other than like Storm getting a kickbot, which is nice. The fairy tale is fun, but in a sense, uh, uh, uh like meaningless. Yeah. And then the next issue, which is like the Starjammer showing up, I thought was a blast.
1: Oh, what did you, you, you think?
0: I uh, I'm really loving these issues. Uh, X Men has got me got me good. I'm rem- I'm we're approaching when I was actually starting to read X Men when it happened, and I love it. It's, it's my comparison with the burn era is that it's sloppier and more uneven. The pace is weirder. Yeah. Um, it's maybe not as air tight, but there is more like emotional variety. Like it was a bit more of an action comic with burn. And now there is a little bit more of just the X-Men kind of hanging out at the kitchen table and fretting. There's kind of that like teenage angst uh, yeah. stuff. And I, I really love it actually. Yeah, the pacing is weird. There's more Claremont sort of having to say something in a caption that isn't shown at all. Uh, I also think the action is not, uh, Cochram, for all his strengths. I think action Burn was way better at drawing action. Like Burn had a little bit of that Ditko ability to make like um, a mindless action scene sort of visually interesting and fun to look at. I think you're right. And Cockrum's action scenes, I sort of zone out sometimes. During I do them. too. I do too. Yeah, that's interesting. And he's so good, right? I mean, like his, but his costume design is so good. We see some alternate costumes in this run in his yeah. issue, and it's so good. In the fairy tale story. Yeah. Yes. He creates all these cool looking things. Yeah. He creates visually beautiful characters and, and images. He's but when good. he gets to the action sequence, like the Starjammer action sequence with a, a Corsair, Cyclops, and Storm, it's a cool idea, but there's panels where I'm just sort of like, okay, what's next? Uh-huh. I yep, and like I found myself thinking that too, and it, and it's a long battle, and I and I just I thought to myself during that I was like, I bet Byrne would have made this battle sing, because his battles just were beautiful. I I do think he had a, I, like I compared to Ditko because we covered those Ditko issues, and even more than Kirby, Steve Ditko, the artist for the original Spider-Man. Yes, that's right, and and Kirby uh, Bruno Kirby are uh, Bruno Kirby, the star of uh, Good Morning <laughs> Vietnam. The star, yeah. <laughs> Of Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the star. Uh, mostly famous for Robin Williams' sort of cameo yeah. throughout the whole film. Uh, no, uh, Yeah, so Jack Kirby's action is great, obviously, and it's powerful and extreme, and it carries your eye from panel to panel. But Ditko did a thing with the with Spider-Man comics, and we often talked about it, which is like the backgrounds are always interesting, and they were always happening in interesting places because like – Spider-Man just like punching somebody gets repetitive. Yes. But it'd be like, oh, they're fighting in an art museum or they're fighting through a television studio. Right, right. And uh, uh, it was just something about it. I was like, always excited by a Ditko action sequence. And Byrne has a little bit of that too. And I he, I think he puts a lot of thought into how do I make this this panel even just catch your attention. Right. Beyond the I fact think, that someone's getting punched. And maybe there's a bit more story involved, which is like. Yeah. It's this physical feat that Colossus is doing is also an emotional triumph because he's been feeling insecure or, you know, somebody's, you know, Wolverine is defending Storm because he sees her get hurt. And even though they fought earlier in the issue, now that the chips are down, he's defending her or something like that. Yeah. It might come from just burn like kind of co-plotting or pre-plotting or however it was done. That might have given him the freedom to do that better. I don't know. But I will, I will. Uh, that's an excellent description of Burns' strength. But th- there is there is something that these issues are good at in his absence, which is the soap opera drama. Like, especially relative to the time, if you read, like, if you were reading, as I was, like, Spider-Man and FF and dipping into some Avengers occasionally and Hulk, and then you went over to the X-Men. The X-Men was like boys and girls falling in love and a family And a family torn apart vibe, like in a way that was like refreshing and cool, like that only the X-Men was really doing that. I mean, and strong, interesting, captivating female characters. I mean, Storm is such a great character in these stories. Yes. And I wouldn't even say these are Storm stories. I mean, she plays a big part in that first one, but like she's so awesome at every moment Yes. Uh, Kitty Pride is cool. Yep. Uh, Jean Grey, obviously, before that was really cool. Emma Jean Stone still is still a like, part of these stories, even though Jean Grey is dead. She's a big presence yeah. in these stories. Uh, Emma Stone is, is a very cool villain. I'm glad they brought her back. Yep. Uh, so it's, and like that wasn't really happening in other comics either. It's very co ed. I mean, I'm not going to say it's female led, it's very like everybody, because also Wolverine's a great character. Nightcrawler is a great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, you know, if you're a teenager, the X-Men is a group of friends, uh, men and women, uh, dealing with their stuff. I, it's just obvious why this was such a massive hit. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Let's, so. let's talk about this first issue, first two issues. Um, so these first issue. two issues, it's a hilarious premise, which is Kitty Pride's parents pull her out of Xavier's school. That part makes total sense. One hundred percent sense. She's going to a school with basically people in their 20s, and she's the only teenager. It really looks suspect. This and is the smartest decision that She's 14. Yeah. She's 14 at best. Uh, Colossus again is 19 and they they like, kiss uh, uh, a lot now. Yeah. And there's also some shots of Kitty pride to bikini, which made me uncomfortable. With the <laughs> we, got a of, th- we got a lot of thirsty pics in this issue. Um, I mean, they're all in, they're all in bathing suits and they all look great, but uh, just Kitty pride's a kid. And it, it does feel weird to have like, I don't know. I wouldn't send my son to school with a bunch of 20 year olds <laughs> uh, when he's 14. Uh, I just, I would feel uncomfortable with it. However, yeah. they, So they want to pull her out of the uh, Xavier's school and they want to send her to the Hellfire Club. (laughs) That's the funniest part is the other school they want to send her to is also run by superpower mutants. They don't have any idea that any of these people are mutants. That's right. But this is the evil one. I also love that the Hellfire Club has a school. Like I love that all these mutant groups have school. They're like improv theaters. Like they can't let's i mean well the hellfire club did try to make a play for kitty before she went to the xavier school right, right they that, both yes. made a pitch for her, so it wasn't like they're coming out of nowhere but it's also a school called hellfire right <laughs> even if it was like a great school and it was well-rated and like consumer reports like this is the best private school in yeah. the area I'd sort of be like, it's called hellfire <laughs> come to my school the infernal arts academy yeah. it's like oh Maybe evil university. So, I don't know. (laughs) I'm looking for a job. I'm not gonna, uh, I don't know if I'm applying to (laughs) evil incorporated just yet. Um, that's the premise. So, the the setup is weird, but the result is kind of fun, which is that Kitty leaves the X Men, um, and joins a school run by a bunch of evil people. That is, you're, I, yeah, I think there was more here than two issues. Yeah, I would have loved to have had Kitty there for like. A handful of issues, sort of a subplot: seeing her interact with the school, seeing her go to classes, seeing her meet the classmates. I think would have been really filled with uh, interesting possibilities, and also just like this kid who knows the school is evil, sort yeah, of being she's a spy. Yeah, surrounded by it, you know, and being like, I, I, am in da- I feel like I'm in danger, but also maybe people are being nice to her, and yeah. she doesn't know what to do with it. I this think you this could really have been a good year, stuff. easily. This could yeah. have been a year or even more. None, None of that happens. None of that happens. Instead, Storm, what we, what we focus Storm most drives on, her to school. <laughs> yep. Um, it takes a long time just for her to leave the X-Men. There's like four pages of just saying goodbye. Well, She's got to get a full-on kiss from Colossus before she goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then uh, Storm drives her there. And then when they finally get there, which is like ha- over halfway through the issue, she sees Emma Stone, who was presumed dead from after a fight with Phoenix. Yes. And uh, Emma Stone... Switches places with Storm. Yes, off-panel, as is the Claremont X-Men way. Um,
1: uh, There's uh, a glowing
0: window. It's all the only tell we get that something happens. Right. So, and and this is this is sort of the central action of these two issues: is Emma Frost and Storm switch bodies. Storm is imprisoned, and Emma is in the body of Storm and gets access to Storm's powers. She doesn't have her powers anymore. Right. Emma doesn't like take control of Storm using her telepathy they switch bodies so emma is now storm with storm powers and storm is now emma with emma's powers yeah that's it's that's a pretty fun Yeah, it's a fun story like that is yeah that's really, really compelling especially because storm is so powerful it's such a, a scary thing but also like emma's powers are so crazy storm takes handles them very easily because she once asked Jean gray what it was like and she's like oh now i know how to control telepathy yeah, she has a flashback to one conversation she had with Gene Gray, who gives a two sentence description of doing telepathy. And using that, Storm gains control of Emma's powers. Yeah, much better than uh, Emma does with Storm's powers. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of the fun, right? Well, I, oh, I will, totally I will say, in terms of the unrealistic things in these issues, I thought that was okay. Like, oh, I got em- no problem with that. Emma can, like, <laughs> shoot lightning bolts and, you know, bring rain, but she just kind of, like, brings too much and then like she can't stop the storm that she started that's sort of fun uh yeah storm has a better time at first she's overwhelmed by reading everybody's thoughts but she sort of gets a hold of everything pretty quick also while this switch happens sentinels attack the uh, uh the mansion xavier's mansion uh this is a really funny moment where cyclops from like the mansion through a window zaps one of them yeah it's like he's not even—he's not even out there in the woods. He just like looks out the window and snaps one. Claremont does a lot of work in captions in this one. Yeah, like a lot of stuff sort of happens in between panels that Claremont, and that's like one of them. It's like, uh, or and uh, captions and speech balloons. Like, yeah, someone Cyclops. writes down goes Xavier knew what's happening because of his <laughs> mental powers and told Cyclops to shoot out the window. Anyway, let's keep moving. Right, right. Also, Nightcrawler's um, Nightcrawler's on a date with his. Um, existing adopted. girlfriend Amanda but as we also found out ad, in one of the yeah, annuals also, his sister <laughs> or yeah, his adopted sister slash wizard slash stewardess so like that leads to one of the, sorry. the funniest just like summaries um
1: the woman oh, yeah. calls
0: herself Amanda Sefton. They've been best friends since earliest childhood when her mother, the gypsy witch queen Margali Zardos, <laughs> found the infant Kurt lying in his dead mother's arms and decided to raise him as one of her own. Amanda, like her mother, is a sorceress and a very good one, though nowhere near as powerful as Margali. But she's a modern working woman as well, a senior flight attendant for <laughs> TWA. <laughs> Those two captions, I was just like, this is insane. Like, yeah, too much. I, I was kind of wondering, like, Clem, do you need to put in that she's not as powerful as her mom right here? Can we get anything out of this? Yeah. can we The mom's not it in these stories. She's not yeah. in any of the issues we've read. Uh, let's not mention. Like, the flight attendant part also doesn't factor into it. Do we need to know that right yeah, now? It doesn't either? factor in, but it is the funniest part, so I would want to leave that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I but love the idea she, of a
0: sorceress being like, eh, I'll be a flight attendant. Uh, she ends up being the ace in the hole. She has magic powers that the... Um, that the Hellfire Club don't know about. And so when they are all captured, she can use her powers and they're not expecting it. That's right. Uh, yeah. So the Sentinels were sent by the Hellfire Club. Uh, the X-Men are all captured. Um, uh, Emma escapes her prison because she can still pick locks. As stored. in Emma's body. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she goes to rescue Kitty, but Kitty's afraid because it looks like Emma. Um and then uh, what happens? So, uh, so Kitty and and Storm basically escape together. Though Kitty is doesn't know what's going on. Kitty is so, suspicious so, yeah. of so the Kitty Emma Frost is, body, but she yeah. eventually is won over because she talks so much like Storm. Yeah, there's like a fun sequence where Emma in Storm's body is chasing Kitty and Emma in Storm's uh, or body. Kitty and Storm in Emma's body. Ugh, it's so confusing to describe. Is it, right, storms. Read the, body. read the comics. What are you talking to us for? Yeah, this podcast <laughs> is dumb. Um, it's fun though, right? It's a really, it's a really fun couple of issues. It's very fun, yeah. Um, just so we don't get lost in it, should we move on to the next ones? Well, how does this wrap up? I don't know. They <laughs> <by the X-Men? laughs> we should talk about that. So yeah, um, the 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 wizard girlfriend sister of Nightcrawler makes them think Wolverine has been killed. Yes. He's like uh, in another room being tortured, but really Wolverine won that fight. So Wolverine and Kitty Pryde together rescue all the X-Men. Yeah. Um, And then this is a little brawl. And there's a showdown between Emma and Storm in each other's bodies and Storm wins. Yeah, there's another one of those moments where she has the mind transfer device that is just sort of like in her hand in one panel. And it caption describes how Storm got it, which was like something she also did off panel. She used her telepathy to read... Emma's mind in Storm's body, found out the location of it and got it off panel and now has it and wins. Yeah. I mean, that was a good move off panel to do that. Uh, And then, like, it ends and the Hellfire Club's like, well, you won. We'll leave. Yeah. They're like, can we agree to have a truce? And everyone's like, yep. And we just move on. And there is a Hellfire Club and Hellfire School. Can we at least attack their accreditation? Can we, like, go after them academically? I mean, I guess what happens is the X Men feel like they can't. Reveal that the Hellfire Club are mutants without revealing that they themselves are mutants. Yeah. And they don't want to do that. So they're at a standoff. So they're at a standoff. There's also some subplot stuff which gets paid off in the last issue we're going to talk about, which is like Professor X is running low on money. Yes. Uh, Because the mansion keeps keeps getting getting destroyed. Yeah, it keeps getting destroyed. But the next issue is sort of a done-in-one, almost an Elseworlds story. It's a yes. bedtime story that Kitty Pride tells Ilyana. Ilyana is Colossus's little sister. Yeah, future member of the New Mutants. Who was kidnapped by Arcade and I guess not living with the X-Men. She's just around sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this this issue is, is the story that Kitty tells Ilana. And it's a sort of a, yeah, like Kevin said, an Elsewhere story. It's basically like a pirate story, but all of the characters are the X-Men. And there's a mixture of like things that have happened to them in real life and things that only happen in the story. And Kevin, what do you think of this issue? Um, it's really beautiful. I mean, this is where Cockrum shines, right? Designing all these fun new character looks. So good. I got a little bored by it. Um mm-hmm. I like that Kevin hot take. I don't uh, want you to ever soften your don't pull your punches. It's just a weird because when you had the Nightcrawler mini series, which is a spin-off of this, clearly. There's a Nightcrawler mini series that I don't know when it came out, which takes place in this world. Right. That Nightcrawler goes to this world and meets like the Bamps and the Little Wolverine guy. Yeah. Um, and goes on this cool swashbuckle adventure. And I love that story. Right. Um, I read that without having read this. So it was like really sort of like, Yeah, hmm, this is a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've never read this story before. So I, I remember I remember they mentioned that this is a story that Kitty Pride had made up because Sniper was like, How does this exist? Uh, but I remember it being really fun, that story. And this sort of felt like, uh, maybe it's just, again, it's just like I wish it had a little more space so it could be a real story instead of just an excuse to trot these characters out. But it's fun. It looks cool. Well, I found it, I again, I love the Kevin Hot take. I don't ever want you to soften your, your criticism. I'll mm-hmm. say that I was really charmed by it. Um, and what I really loved is that there is sort of a runner that the Kitty is telling the story to Alana and Peter is listening. But then one by one, the other X-Men gather outside the room and are surreptitiously listening through the door. Yes, I like that like part listening too. Listening to Kitty's story. And So they're hearing the way she describes all of them. Like Wolverine's analog in her story has a six pack of beer and is kind of, he's called mean. I think his name yeah. is mean. Yeah. Um. And the Nightcrawler analog wants to kiss all the girls and is like girl crazy. Yeah. Um. And outside the X-Men are like giggling to hear how they are portrayed. And it was yeah. sweet. And then when she brings up Jean Gray, and in the fictional story, Gene Gray is saved and ends up with Scott. Scott outside the door is truly moved. He's like, I thought I thought that was so yeah. sweet. That part was really great. Scott thanks her for the ending of the story, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's there kitty wasn't really around for Phoenix, so She's kind of, you have to assume she's sort of just respecting what she's been told by her teammates. A little bit also. It feels like either this was an idea that got shot down by Claremont or an idea that he is seeding like a way to bring Jean Grey back, right? Because it all involves like that little crystal. crystal which of, does exist. Which does exist of Jean Gray's memories. And I wonder if that was like Claremont's little seed being like, yeah, if I ever feel like I can bring Jean Grey back, this is a way to do that somehow. Right. Um, I felt like that too. So it just um, felt like reading this, I was like, oh yeah, if I was reading this in the day, I'd be like, "Gene Grey will be back in a couple of years. So that little interplay is what made it for me, like cutting to the X-Men outside the door and seeing their reactions to how they are being depicted. Yes. I love um, that part too. But I mean, that is like two pages worth of the story, but I loved it too. And um, the art is, you know, fantastic and this alternate storm costume that she has in this. Oh, here goes Will. I was kind of like, I love it. I was like, mm, maybe this is Storm's outfit, like for real. Like, it's it's very Kirby. I just want to describe this to the listeners. So Will right now, his tongue is out. His eyes are bugging out like a <laughs> I'm wolf. Like, I'm like the wolf <laughs> and the Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, that's cartoons. right. I'm not going to describe Storm's costume. I'm going to describe how Will looks talking a little about it. Side note, a friend of mine in LA named Katie Fischel for Halloween <laughs> dressed up her as, as the wolf from those Woody Woodpecker Thing. She, like, made glasses with eyes coming way out in, like, a zoot suit. <laughs> That's funny. And she I, just think it, took, I think it's like a, a tongue hanging out of her mouth. And just there's pictures of her at a party standing behind people in their sexy costumes. And there she is as the eyes-bugged-out, horny wolf. That was really funny. It's a cool costume. Not to... Uh nitpick you will but that's not a woody woodpecker character that is a warner brothers cartoon from uh, oh. three pigs um, and the wolf goes to like a a, a club and sees uh, red riding hood sorry okay. little red riding hood or something i don't know what it's called like little hot <laughs> riding hood or something like that uh, uh, and, I mean, there, there's somebody woodpecker one where it's all puns that's probably true as well but the, the famous one with the wolf like pounding okay. on the table and, and yes yeah, that's what i'm trying whistling to okay, yes. is a warner brothers cartoon Okay, my bad. Thank you for correcting me. That's uh, it's embarrassing that you would even mention that. Um, I should be canceled, not for inappropriate <laughs> reasons, but for being wrong on stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I love this issue. Kevin hates it. Kevin hates nice stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, I do. Um, let's go on to the final issue we're covering, issue 154. This is the beginning of a long arc of the Starjammers. Yeah, and I haven't read beyond this issue, so I don't know what I think of the arc overall, but I really enjoyed this first issue. Yeah, this sort of sets up that uh, Scott's dad, who is Corsair of the Starjammers, is back in the mix, and also he's being chased by some evil race called the Brood. Yeah, the Brood come into this. I get confused, but but in this issue it's something else. Uh, the Brood come it's some sort of flying. What is it called? Oh, that's not the Brood. This is that's a different race. Okay, yeah. this so becomes a Brood like, storyline. I see. Uh, so there's a race of like little spider creatures yeah. who can. Who can meld together to make stuff or also separate and scramble around like bugs. And they're really Cidrian Sidrian hunters. Okay. Whatever that means to you. Uh, yeah, this issue starts with a really fun clo- uh, Cyclops versus Storm training session. And they're also discussing who should be leader. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like they're leaning towards Storm. They're leaning towards Storm. He kind of doesn't want the mantle anymore. What's kind of fun here is they respect each other. They're both kind yeah. of like, either of us could do it. Yeah, there's there's no animosity at this point. Um, and they, and it's it's very fun. Like, their powers are very, very different. but to see them competing in a very weird ball-moving game. Because the Danger Room doesn't work anymore, so they have to make their own training missions. I think they're playing handball. Yeah, they're playing handball, but like, Cyclops could only use his blaster, and Storm, and Storm could only can use only use wind. And she has to be flying the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're too evenly matched. Neither one can get a two-point lead to win. That's fun. Also, the X-Men are moving into Magneto's evil island, his Atlantean slash Cthulhu island. Oh, right. Because the mansion's so destroyed. Yeah. Which is a weird place to move into, because I guess Kitty's still going to her dance lessons in Westchester, so that's a commute. <laughs> um, it's a huge, huge island for like the six or seven mutants that are going to live there. But I like it. I like the change of the status quo. I'm interested in it. We also got Carol Danvers floating around, the former Ms. Marvel, someday to be Captain Marvel, but yeah. currently powerless Carol Danvers. Yeah, something happened in an Avengers annual that you and I did not read. That involved the X Men and Carol, and that, and I, and Claremont also wrote Miss Marvel for a while. So I think he is just incorporating a character he put time into into his book. Okay, yeah. I think Claremont does not like letting go of his characters. He really never. We we saw that in our interview with him. He's yeah. he's, he's protective of them. Um,
1: but she's is is just ca- a is-
0: she's is just a powerless woman who's hanging out with the X Men. <laughs> Yeah, just recapping her stories from another issue. But that's kind of a Marvel thing. Oh, you know, Louise Jones, the editor, Louise Jones, who the future Louise Simonson, Mm -hmm. um, is now the editor of X-Men. I'm really enjoying her little caption. You know, the editors of this time at Marvel Comics, I don't know if this still happens, but when somebody refers to a past issue or a story from another series, there'll usually be an asterisk. And then in the caption below, it'll be like, you know, see Cloak and Dagger 3. And yeah. then, and then they'll do like a Stanley play on their own name, like editorializing yeah. Eddie or whatever. Yeah. And it still happens. Sometimes it's a lot less frequent than in this day and age. It was pretty big in the early eighties. I mean, Stan would do it all the time in the sixties. Yeah. But um, Louise has got like, looked it up. Louise was like one of them. Yeah. That was a very that, funny one. That was a really fun one. And like, um, I don't, there was, there's a Shakespeare she, quote she, there's a Shakespeare quote that is that, is that in the issues here or, or is that ahead? Uh, that was in, I don't know if it was in this issue or previously. Uh, it wasn't one of these issues though. There's some King Lear quote and she like, you know, asterisk King Lear act two scene, whatever Shakespearean Louise or something like that. And I yeah. was like, man, it's fun. Yeah. I forget where that happens. Literally uh, Louise that, it might've be. I think that was a previous issue. I think that was maybe in the two that uh, preceded this. I might, that might've been in the hellfire club stories. Okay. And, um, I don't know. I just like that Louise. Yeah. Louise I, L- Louise Simonson was a great writer. She did Power Pack and Superman for a while and New Mutants. and Also in the documentary on Chris Claremont's X-Men, which is available on, I think, Amazon Prime and also on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of interviews with Louise and Chris. And they are just the way they talk about these X-Men stories is so full of love and joy. She was super invested in a great yeah. way. So I kind of just like having a little peek behind the curtain to see Louise having fun. Yeah, uh, she seemed to dig her job. Yep. Um, oh, there's a there's a funny bit where Storm gets a postcard from Kitty, who mailed it from Cthulhu Island. Yes. And and then she reads this Claremont-like passage from a postcard: "Having a wonderful time. Wish you were here." Um. Let's and see, then uh, she summarizes the rest of it. She, she tried for a Caribbean tan, got sunburned. Instead, she's practicing her dancing. She's determined. To be in the piece, her teacher Stevie Hunter is choreographing. Everyone's quite well. Carol seems depressed. Yeah, and then Scott says, "That's some postcard." And and Storm goes, "Kitty writes very small." Yes, just making fun of how this unrealistic amount of information. But I bet you know what? I bet you, if Chris Claremont sends postcards, that's how much he gets in there. Yeah, he's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna fold out if he if he sends you a postcard. Um. Uh, so, I guess, so, yeah, right now, Scott and Storm are the only ones at the mansion because everyone else is moving into the evil island. Um, it's very fun to see those two kind of like husband and wifing in the mansion. Yeah. Uh, but then Corsair shows up and blows up the mansion because of these attacking Sidrian hunters. And we get a very long battle sequence, which also involves Cyclops being mad that his dad is here not never told him that he never knew. Corsair never mentioned he was his dad, and Cyclops was sort of mad at him the whole time about keeping that secret. Yeah, it's classic comics tropes for yeah. adult children and adult parents to still be fighting. Though we saw Cyclops realize it was his dad because he he temporarily grew a mustache. Cyclops yeah, grew he a looked at his mustache realized... the reflection when he was at Cthulhu Island. No, when he was in the Savage Land, I believe. Okay, yeah. But anyway, anyway, um, the, the point is, I don't know why he's surprised here, but uh, it is sort of fun him being sort of mad at Corsair for not telling him that. And that's very Marvel. Also, there's a cool thing where the, they've changed the Blackbird's window so that Cyclops can blast through them. And they've also named the Blackbird Kitty's Dragon because of the fairy tale from last issue. Yeah, and then isn't Lockheed a dragon that shows up in the New Mutants? Lockheed is Kitty's dragon. I don't know when that shows up. But so, that is a that is a character made up in her story and somehow it becomes real at some point, I guess. Yeah, I don't know when that happens. But I know that when I was reading New Mutants, Lockheed was like flying around. Sure. And Lockheed was part of Excalibur. Um, That's adorable. I love Kitty and I like her leaving her impact on the mythology. Um, uh, But yeah, it's a big battle sequence. And eventually they, they blow up these aliens at an oil field. Mm-hmm. And Cyclops is mad about that. Storm is mad about that because they don't want to kill the aliens. They don't kill, they're heroes. Right. Corsair doesn't care, so he kills the aliens. And then it ends with, we see Lalandra has been captured. and in a flashback, yeah. In a flashback, and Corsair is basically asking them to help him. Yep. So the next storyline will presumably be the X-Men being recruited to go to space again to help um, Professor X's old paramour. Queen Lalandra. Mm-hmm. So you're right, Cockrum's back, and we're going back to the Starjammers in space. Yeah. These are fun. It definitely, it's another one of these in between arcs, right? We have like a big arc. Table and then like setting a, issue. And then like a handful of like shorter stories and just the X-Men like moving from a mansion to an island mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. another big storyline. Yeah. Um, it's really fun. I mean, this is definitely still very dated. It's of the time. It's uneven. I feel like a lot of this stuff feels made up as it went along. There's not doesn't feel like the right number of issues are being assigned to each storyline. That's something that feels like maybe they're better at doing now, but there also is that fun feeling of recklessness that that's the good side of that, which is like, it, it feels like this is, you know, Marvel comics feels pleasantly small at this time. Yeah. I mean, Marvel at this time still seemed to do like, well, let's just do an issue. We don't know how many, we can't say part one of six because we don't know how many parts this will be. We yeah. haven't written the next part yet. Let's find yeah. out. Uh, yeah. And so they kind of tell a story. And sometimes maybe he knew he had Bob McLeod for two issues. So he was doing a two issue story for Bob. Sure. But he didn't like start out going, well, what's a good two issue story? He's like, I'll tell this story and I'll get yeah. it in those two issues. Yeah. And it is very much a Stan Lee fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, just tell the story until the, until you get to the last page and then continue it to the next issue. Right. Versus like a Jonathan Hickman, here's my Bible on the next 30 years of X-Men. Yeah, here's and really my different... elaborate jigsaw puzzle being revealed one piece at a time. Right. And I don't know how many writers do that anymore, like really fly by the seat of their pants. Uh, certainly at Marvel and DC, I don't know how often that happens. It, I, I'm assuming some must, but I think it is very rare. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just there's always there's trade-offs to both. Both approaches. And I guess the fun of reading these 80s comics is, hey, enjoy the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, like, a lot of times Marvel Comics at this time sort of didn't end well. They would start really exciting and then they would yeah. sort of, like, fizzle out and just move on to the next thing. The Hobgoblin saga, which was just covered by Amazing Spider Talk, is a great example of that, where Stern starts with this cool mystery. Who's the Hobgoblin? What's going on? And then he, like, leaves the book and someone else takes <laughs> over and it becomes a huge mess. <laughs> And his cousin, he didn't sit down and go, here's my 20-issue arc for the Hobgoblin. Yeah. He's like, eh, I'll wrap it up around this time. Oh, I'm leaving? Okay. Who cares? So, That's, Tom DiPoco will do it. In contrast, Superior Spider-Man, which Dan Slott handled the whole way through, I thought it did feel pretty organized. Yeah, and I don't think Dan Slott had planned out every single plot point, but he definitely had like a beginning, the middle, big, and the end. The big tent poles, yeah. Yeah. It felt that way. And that I think is what more modern comics are general. I think that is, I think slot is probably one of the looser of the modern comic writers where he's got tent poles, but not necessarily the individual moments as opposed to Jonathan Hickman, who feels very planned out. Someday I mean, we'll I get slot and we'll ask him. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, that's our mutants portion, Kevin. Yeah. let us take a, a take a break will let us take a break. We'll let's take a break. Well, you'll hear an ad from an actual sponsor and then we're going to come back and do some mail. Oh, that's exciting. A real yeah. ad. Listen to it. Let's tell us yeah, how we look do. Look at this. us. Look at us. We're legit. We're big. Tell us time. how we do on. A, tell us how we do on our ad, guys. Yeah, let us know. Screwed, We're just going to talk about comics. Has partnered with Shortboxed. Shortbox is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comic books online. It's trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. And as part of our partnership, uh, we'll be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, our first one. Is uh, a copy of the Dark Knight Returns issue one, the 2018 printing. It's got a foil cover, it's rated 9.8 quality, signed by no names Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen, these two little up-and-comers. Yeah, yeah. Some some like indie book guys who I think you know, they probably did a, their version of Dark Knight Returns at some point. They probably called mm-hmm. it Dark Knight Returns. They're some somewhat involved. Yeah, they're um, somewhat involved. Uh, to win this comic book, you have to go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. Uh, there's no purchase necessary, and you'll, you will get a free promo code uh, for $15 off if you do want to make a purchase, but that's not required to win this comic. Yeah, and that's going until March 10, 2022. So we're asking all of our listeners to enter this. We want, frankly, we want to look good to our to our sponsors and partners, so help us help us out. We want them to be flooded by people trying to win this comic book. Uh, so that they're also encouraged, maybe to give away more stuff to you guys. They see how eager you guys are to want it. So if you if this is a thing you like, uh, definitely enter, please. Yeah, we um, as part of our partnership, we got to get some comics from this. I don't mean to brag about our yeah. perks. Shortbox has taken pretty good care of pretty the Heinz brothers, good care of us. So uh, we each got a comic. Kevin, what did you get? I looked at a bunch of things. I looked at uh, uh, I was trying to find a Gru comic book, but they had a, <laughs> only a Gru reprint, and that wasn't. That wasn't up to my standards. Not to your satisfaction, yeah. I was looking at old Ditko stuff, and that was all just too expensive. As it should be. And then I settled on an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, issue 250. So this is the end of Roger Stern's run on the title. It's also the, uh, uh, the last time he wrote Hobgoblin before other writers sort of got their mitts on him. So at this point, Hobgoblin's identity is unknown. Uh, and it's a really exciting kind of culmination to everything Stern had done so far. Writers after this would sort of ruin the Hobgoblin's identity <laughs> for a long time and get, he'd become really messy, but at this point, he was a pristine A-list villain, and it's a really exciting issue. Great cover too, right? Oh, it's a beautiful cover of them sort of wrestling in like a sea of flames. It's uh, really awesome. Um, I also went with Spider-Man. I got Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 64. Now, Kevin, do you know what is significant about that issue? I actually remember that issue really well. Um, yeah. So that's the issue where he swings around the city. Um, He's uh, he yeah. just like web shooters a lot. I There's guess. At least one moment where like his spider sense goes off, that's pretty notable. I, I think that happens. No, no, none of those are correct. I mean, it's correct, but not what's important. Uh, this is the first appearance of Cloak and Dagger who are characters that I I loved. and uh, You love everybody from Freeform TV. I'm a huge Freeform nut. You know, I I go crazy for anything on Freeform. If they were in Marvel Comics, I get it. I I would name another example of a Freeform show if I could think of one. But uh, (laughs) I did watch Cloak & Dagger and I liked it a lot, so... (laughs) I got, I got this issue and I, I really love it. Yeah. That's also a great cover too. It's, uh, almost Eisner ish the way like they're it's sort of Eisner-ish. dancing around the buildings with cloak and dagger on and the that. words cloak and dagger, are like printed in mm-hmm. big graffiti ish things. I almost um, got Sandman number eight, which is that's where death and dream are throwing bread to the pigeons in Washington square park. Uh, I might go back and get that at some point. Yeah. There's new stuff being added all the time too, uh, from different people selling their slabs as a, uh, that's how some of us cool guys call them. That's what the cool guys call the issues on Shortbox. They call them slabs. Uh, they also have like uh, great interviews with a lot of comics insiders. And then also, for some reason, us. I think there's going to be an interview with us <laughs> That's at right. one point on the <laughs> they, front. They have page good of interviews. And I hope also, that doesn't ruin their company. Yeah, they have good interviews and an interview with us. So they, yeah. the whole range. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's Shortbox. You can enter the contest, shortbox.com slash screw it. You can download the app on iOS or Android and uh, check all these things out. All right, and we are back into the mailbags portion. Kevin, let's uh, get some email. How do people contact us if they want us to? to should I do that while you're looking stuff up? Uh, I'm ready to go whenever you are. You do it, though. Okay, so you can email us at screwitcomics at Gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, and an Instagram account, screwitcomics. Please follow us on that Instagram account. Kevin um, puts up great screenshots of the things we're talking about. And send us email on anything you'd like, anything we say that you have an opinion on. Correct us, argue us, agree with us. Mm -hmm. Don't even address what we said. Talk about what you're reading in comics. Um, uh, Let us know where you're at. And uh, we got some email right now, right, Kev? Yeah, we've got some emails on our coverage of the Spider-Man No Way Home film. I'm going to save that for the end. Okay. So that for some reason you still haven't seen the movie and you don't want to hear us talk about it. Uh, When we get to those, I'll say, stop listening. Okay. Does that make sense? I think that's kind. Okay. Uh, Let's see. What do we got here? Dean Spencer emailed us a while back with some because of our uh, coverage of... The Dr. Doom, Dr. Strange storyline, to, yes. uh, Torment and uh, whatever. Triumph and Torment. Triumph mm-hmm. and Torment. He wanted to just recommend some Dr. Doom storylines. Okay. Books of Doom by Ed Brubaker. Okay. He thinks is really good. And also uh, uh, Emperor Doom and Doom by a, a current writer, Chris Cantwell. Have, those are pretty recently coming on. Nice. So those are good ones. I, th- I read Books of Doom. I don't remember it because I've read a lot of Brubaker stuff. I have not read the Chris Cantwell thing, so I've heard it's good. Okay. I like that the word doom is always in the doom. How can you not have doom in the (laughs) doom title? Just a ridiculous thing. Uh, Tony Labra, also referring to that Chris Gethard uh, episode that we did about Triumph and Torment, emailed us to say, "I, uh, I had to see what all the commotion about Cap Wolf was for myself. And that's because when we had Gethard and I, we talked about, Grudenwald's Captain America run, where there is a storyline where Captain America becomes like a werewolf temporarily. <laughs> right. Um, I don't have Marvel Unlimited, so that usually means hunting these down on eBay or my local comic book shop. Uh, I put, I picked these up at Infinity Comics and More in Murraysville, Pennsylvania. Uh, they had the whole Cap run, parts one through six, the whole Cap Wolf run, uh, and then he basically just showed it, showed me an image of it. So it's very exciting. He found it. These images are very funny. I'll have to read this Grunewald run. Yeah, me too. I want to do it too. That's the fun of Marvel Unlimited. You can just kind of do that. Take a weekend and just do it. So, so well I'm sharing it here. Cap wolf. That's Cap. very funny. You see him howling at the moon. <laughs> and it, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and there's this one of Cap with a wolf head holding the uh, shield up high. It's a pretty good Man drawing. and though. Wolf, part four of six. <laughs> Go to our Instagram, Kid. You got to get that on our Instagram. Never. All right. Uh, thank you, Tony. That's really fun. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Robert McKenzie emailed us. He's a recent listener. So he's apologizing if we've talked about this before. Sure. He's talking about the mystique-led Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We've just reached that part and what he was listening to. I'm wondering who you think of... Oh, I'm still sharing. Sorry, well, that's annoying. I kind of like it. Oh. Kevin was still sharing the screen so I could see the emails. That way he doesn't have all the power. No, but I kind of like seeing it. Now that you've reached the mystique-led Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, I'm wondering who you think some of the worst, least effective X-Men villains are. That's always fun. Personally, I think Destiny is right up there. She has a cool costume design, but for someone who can just see into the future, she sure does seem to miss a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, thanks for your really great podcast. I'm currently listening through your Secret Wars season and really enjoying it. Uh, he also asked if we'd ever covered Josh Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men in a future season. I don't know oh, if we I, would, but I like that run. That's an interesting suggestion. Well, always happy to hear suggestions of what we should cover. Uh, who do you think the least effective villains are? Well? It's a great question. i I my brain is a little blank because I'm too busy thinking of ineffective heroes, like Hawkeye and the Avengers, I think, is a go-to, like mm-hmm. out of balance in terms of his powers versus his peers. I know that's like often part of the stories, and it's used to good effect. I think Claremont does a good job of like making all these characters seem like they're uh, a good threat. like that they're equal power to the X-Men. They're not too powerful or not powerful enough. The first thing that jumped to my mind is not an X-Men villain, but made me think of the the wingless wizard, who always seemed to be so So excited that he could completely, completely defeated by the FF. He like would end every issue like hanging on a tree branch, his gloves broken. I loved him. He like it would always be a challenge. It would take them all issue to defeat him, but at the end he was not just defeated, he was just Humiliated. utterly just no question. That is a loss. How about Galactus? I mean, I think Galactus is pretty powerful, but if your only move is eating planets, I mean, he—you know—he's not too agile. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's not invisible; he can't hide. Everybody sees him coming a mile away. I mean, Toad is dumb. Mm-hmm. He just jumps and has a long tongue. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's not I don't know what that's doing for anybody. <laughs> that's true. That's not too good. Some of the Hellfire Club guys' powers are sort of just weird, right? There's like the guy who just like makes you heavier. Yeah, that's that's very specific. It is powerful, I guess, but it's just like it's it's one thing. I mean that's compared Harry to like Leland, Emma Stone, right? Is that Harry yeah, Lincoln? I think so. But compared to Saw like absorbs power, that's kind of vague, but it can be useful. Emma Stone yeah. is very powerful. Wait, is Emma Stone is that her name? That, that's her cast. Emma Frost. Did I say Emma Stone? Emma Stone the is the actress. actress. <laughs> we said that all episode? I think we did. Oh, man. Short box is leaving us. We had him in work. So. This, uh, you know, Cyclops, or as we call him, Andrew Garfield. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Emma Stone would be a great villain, too. Emma Frost. Yes, Emma Frost. The Emma White Frost. Queen. Shouldn't be doing this. This is We're bad at our job. Bad. If we, we are. We are. That's true. When I listen to other comic book podcasts, I'm like, these guys have it so together. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Delorean asked how we met. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to. I we'll have to search our memories and figure that out at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I know. I guess uh, my answer is uh, you were there mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I gained consciousness and and self awareness. Yeah. So I wasn't there when we met, though. He sort of I took mean, advantage of me and became my brother without my consent. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, he also asks for our annual edition of the podcast, which is not a thing we've announced doing or i <laughs> have ever done in the past. But he wants you, Will, to do the whole episode as Stan Lee. Oh, OK. Yeah. I mean, who do, We could get a whole bunch of people to do. I think everybody's got a Stan Lee impression, you know, just like everybody's got a Christopher Walken. I mean, one of my favorite things is making you do Stan Lee's voice for uh, other captions. For other books, yeah, it's where it's very fun. like these very well written, dramatic, non ironic captions, but Stan Lee's voice ruins yes. it dead dog on the street, tire track across his burst stomach, or whatever, right? Right, the Watchman one was, yeah, Sandman one is also pretty good. <laughs> this is a lyrical Neil Gaiman lyrics in an audacious voice, <laughs> watch out, it's the Sandman. <laughs> Here comes destiny and death. Ooh, baby. Stanley would never say ooh, baby. <laughs> no, he would not say ooh, baby. Sorry I didn't put any sound effects on this page. I wanted you to see what Delirium was doing. Don't worry, fans. Word. Sandman's coming soon, and the action will begin sooner. How is Sandman going to pay rent this month? <laughs> uh, Joe Wortman emailed us well. Mm-hmm. He said he's uh, uh, Marvel's recently started reprinting the original runs of their biggest books in digest paperback form. Ah. So these are a bigger digest than the ones we had, which were like paperback size. Yes. So these are like full on digests, maybe like twice as big as those paperbacks. Okay. Uh, They are the Marvel masterworks just in paperback soft cover form. Okay. He's picked a few of them up. Spider-Man is iconic. Fantastic Four is great. And Hulk is just insane. And I haven't started X-Men yet. And I don't really know what to expect. Have you considered... Continuing Mutants and Mailbags by going back to the original 1960s X-Men issues. I think we've thought about it, but we just have other stuff that I think is probably more fun and, and better to do. Yeah. I bought the Spider-Man Marvel Masterworks soft cover book, Will. Couldn't resist. I have those same issues in an omnibus, <laughs> in the epic <laughs> volumes, in a digest, in a digital format. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a cool cover. <laughs> I'm such a, i such don't have the masterworks hardcover at least but uh, i'm just dumb yep it's the one comic i keep buying over and over and over again
1: uh, i, I got know. as a
0: gift the giant hardcover Ditko. is that the omnibus yeah, it's, yeah, it's massive it's like yeah. it, it's a joke to like lift it up yeah i have that on my bottom shelf i've ne- i've opened it once and it's just like it's too unwieldy to read but it's i like having though. it i'm yeah. so happy to have it me too but i'll never <laughs> open it and read it never Okay. It'll, it'll just slowly dissolve on my lower shelf under its own weight. Okay, uh, Julio Casana emails us. Uh, you were talking about the X-Men animated series from the 90s, uh, which I love and grew up watching. Something I always found funny is that they changed some names. So he's talking about the uh, Spanish dubs here. Okay. They changed some of the names. Like Wolverine was Guapardo, which is a <laughs> cheetah. And Rogue was Titania, which I found out (laughs) recently was another character from Secret Wars. (laughs) It's just something about Spanish dubs. I really love that. Um, That's funny. He's asking us to do a review of No Way Home. We did. We did, yeah. Uh, So thank you, Julio, for that email. Thank you, Julio. Uh, Okay, here's some interesting ones. So we asked a while back, Will, if there were other pod... Because we claim we are the only podcast... Uh, uh, Comics podcast that brothers are doing. That's right. We're the only comics podcast that brothers are doing. And then we said, is this true? We've made this claim baselessly. Yes. Uh, So Ben S. emailed us. Hey, a brother's milk stop. In a previous episode, you inquired about podcasts that featured brothers discussing comics. Right. Before I started listening to your podcast. I don't like that. I don't like you listen to other podcasts. This already feels like a slap in the face. I'd been listening to a show by the name of the brothers Marvel. Mm. Vinny and Chuck Duber. They attempted to take an issue by issue look at the classic stories of the Marvel Universe from the very beginning. They recorded one hundred shows before they wow. took an extended hiatus in March twenty twenty. Uh an interesting inside note, a side note is that Vinny Duber's day job is actually a beat writer for the Chicago White Sox. Oh, that's fun. Uh, knowing that you're both fans of the Boston Red Sox, I would like to see a brothers comic book baseball <laughs> rivalry podcast. It might not carry the weight of the Tupac Shakur Biggie Smalls war. I certainly would not. Hope not. I hope it doesn't uh, end the same way also. But I think once the feud was leaked on the social media, it would definitely become viral. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if it would. Don't think it would. Uh, it has been a long time since we've had a comic book baseball podcast turf war. And I think the public is ready for it. <laughs> it's been I mean, a I'm long in. time. No, I'm in. I'm in. All right. Let's do it. We'll take these. We'll probably end up just liking them too much if they're into comics and baseball. I mean, the White Sox are a great team. Totally great. My oh, gosh. Um, that is very funny. So, yeah, uh, that's one we missed, Well, It's pretty obvious. The word brothers is right in the title. Yeah, right in the title. <laughs> Better marketing. They did it better than us. I think we have one more from somebody about a brothers, but I, I don't know where it is. Okay. This, uh, oh, wait, right here it is. No brothers home. I like the uh, the way this guy addresses us. What's new, Pussycats? <laughs> That's a really fun start. He talks about yeah. the Spider-Man movie, so I'm skipping that part. Other people may have mentioned this one already, but I've grown quite fond of Tighten Up the Defense with Hub and Corey, two brothers with a really fun dynamic who get drunk and talk about old Teen Titans and Defenders comics. <laughs> That's really fun. Lots of fun, even if they aren't professional comedians, actors, milksops. Hey, this sounds nice. Joshua seems to be putting us ahead of them. And I like that, Joshua. That's you. good. Yeah. I do love how specific that is. Teen Titans and Defenders. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, like, very random. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, let's move on to Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, so this will be spoilery right away. So get out if you want to see that movie with no spoilers. Yeah, uh, if if you're leaving us, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, appreciate listening, it. Yeah. See you next week. Enter our if, giveaway. Enter the short box giveaway. Yeah, win yourself a Dark Knight comic, or Will will get it. Because I won't. I fill out my email too poorly. <laughs> I, I'm I type for my you. email in, it's just like, ugh. Well, I guess it's your email technically. Yeah. Um. So this is we we did a review podcast of Spider Man No Way Home, which we both really liked. We've gotten a lot of emails about our coverage of it. So we had mentioned when on our coverage, Will about the. The, the line, I'm something of a scientist myself, got a huge a huge reaction, yeah. And we didn't know why, even though we liked that line. So Zach Vernon emailed you, well I was just listening to your No Way Home episode and thought I'd write to tell you that the reason everyone knew the I'm something of a scientist myself line is because it became a pretty popular meme a few years ago. Oh, I, I didn't, didn't not, know that. I did not know that. I'm a little cursing on that. Like, yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, so that's interesting. Uh, David... Paul Janowski uh-huh. wants to know, how did Will impulsively see the most anticipated movie of the year? So you had said <laughs> you just impulsively went to see it. Yeah. An I, opening night. I mean, I just was not, I had no plans. And at the uh-huh. very last minute I bought a ticket online and half an hour later was in the theater. And I just, because of the pandemic, seeing movies mm-hmm. has become something I've planned a bit more, I guess. you're. I yeah. don't know. It's, it's really not notable except that I hadn't done it in a while. It's a good improviser instinct. I don't know if David Puljanowski is an improviser, but to notice that is an unusual way to say you saw a movie, especially one that is like been Massively advertised for months, and promoted months, and, months yeah. and <laughs> is a thing we talk about on our podcast. Yeah. And you're just like, eh, maybe I'll go see this. I movie. wasn't as excited to see it as I as I as other people, but I was won over almost instantly. Uh, uh, David also points out a thing. A number of people have emailed us about this. One of the biggest cheers at my screening was a reveal of Daredevil in the MCU. Oh, yes. Mine too. Um, Does Daredevil belong uh, being in the MCU do anything for you? Because we didn't mention Daredevil at all in our review. Right. Um, I love it. I mean, I love Daredevil in the comics. I like that portrayal of it, although I'm sort of hit or miss on the Netflix series. I think the actor is good. So I was excited to see it, Kevin. Yeah, I uh, same exact. I didn't really enjoy the show, but Charlie Cox looks so cool as Daredevil, and he's really good. Um, and he was really good in that scene in Spider-Man as Matt Murdock, the lawyer. I mean, yes. it's very silly. It's always funny in comics that Matt Murdock is everyone's lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and then also like that he is the lawyer of Spider-Man, and they don't know he's Daredevil. And he like catches a brick, and, and he's just like, I'm a very good lawyer is his line, right? Yeah very silly very comic booky and i loved it yes let's see gavin not emails us enjoyed the review episode i'm sure you'll get upwards of a dozen emails like this he says here we go uh, you didn't uh, you didn't mention carly cox showing up as matt murdoch it had me elbowing my friend in excitement and him catching the brick before peter could get a uh, before peter got a gasp out of me i mentioned to a few friends that I was worried the scene would get forgotten because the rest of the movie is so heavy. And this is the first confirmation. <laughs> it's true. You have shaken my faith in brotherly <laughs> comic journalism. Ooh. It's fit. Totally fair. He's going to go to one of those other brother comic book podcasts. They probably have a whole, it's probably in their episode title. Uh, yeah, I think it was just, we're so much to talk about. We zipped by it. We just zipped by it. Yeah, I, I, I love that moment. And it was a big reaction from the crowd when, when, when I watched. I mean, we mostly wanted to talk so much about the other Spider-Men. I was so excited by Andrew Garfield, frankly, like he he is the big winner of that film. Yeah. Uh, amongst lots of winners. Yeah. We talked about the Spider-Man and then we went back to talk about the villains. And it was just sort of like the Matt Murdock thing was like a cameo. It was like Spider-Man yeah. running in, uh, walking through Doctor Strange in annual one just to say, read Doctor Strange. Yeah. It felt like almost a nothing cameo in a movie filled with cameos. I mean, it's a huge cameo, but it felt comparatively. Don't try to defend it, Kevin. We blew it. I mean, you could remove Matt Murdock from the movie and it has no effect on the movie. True. He's, He's a slight story point. He says, you're not in any legal trouble. Yeah, They sort of wipe away the whole plot. That seemed to be what they were setting up. Uh, But it's, yeah, it's very fun. And he, other people tweeted at us and Instagrammed at us, shaming us for forgetting that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh Here's a, a no way. At least we, we noticed the electro stars around Jamie Fox's head. I mean, thank God we mentioned that we'd be, we'd be, A short box is almost ready to drop us because of the Emma (laughs) Frost thing. We can't make another mistake now, Will. Yeah. we got to be on our best behavior. Uh, Ben S. emailed us. Hey, Milksops, I saw No Way Home on opening weekend and absolutely loved it. It was funny, action-packed, tragic, and sweet. I do have a question for you two, however. Dr. Strange's spell erased the memories of Peter Parker from the world. uh, The memory of Peter Parker from the world. It did not turn back time. Wouldn't all social media posts, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, news articles, Jay Jonah Jameson's videos, they made reference to Spider-Man being Peter Parker, still be around. The spell did not erase those media posts. Wouldn't MJ or Ned just wake up the next day, scroll through their Twitter feed from the previous few days and notice? I want a no prize. So before we respond to this, a no prize will. You have to fix it. You have to fix it. It's a Stanley thing that became like a Marvel-wide thing that was... You were awarded a no prize if you pointed out a mistake and then also justified why it was not. A, you basically fixed it for Stan. Right. I lo- Which is such a fun convention. Yeah. Yeah. If you could fix a mistake for Stan, he would award you a no prize. Yeah. Which was either nothing or an envelope, an empty envelope eventually yeah. became an empty envelope. So this is not worthy of a no prize, Ben, because you did not give us a solution. But then he answered again. No, then I basically, I emailed him back to shame him for his no prize mistake. But he answered that. And in that answer, he doesn't, he doesn't. And I gave it. him a solution that I think would earn a no prize. Oh, so you get, you get the no prize. What, what's your so. solution? I was like, I think the magic, uh, uh, I said, there's two options. The magic either erases everything. It's magic. You could erase social media posts, uh, or, or it just makes everything look erased. Like if you look at old photos, you just see a version without Peter. So it's basically just, uh, altering everyone's perception. Yeah. Uh so like if I'm scrolling through Twitter, like I'm just seeing bland tweets. I'm not seeing the Spider-Man tweets that are like, oh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Um, that's was my solution. It's magic. I mean, it's an easy no-prize solution. Yeah, I just I disagree with his initial thing, which says magic doesn't the spell did not erase those media posts. Yeah, it did. I just assume it did. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so then there's no mistake, no no prize for anybody. Right. Uh here's Joshua again, his uh, uh email about uh he brought up the Hub and Corey podcasts. <laughs> tighten up the defense. Uh, he also wanted to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, so what's new, Pussycats? I've been a little behind with your episodes, but got caught up today with your latest two. I'm very excited to see you post your thoughts on the newest Spider movie and found we had several, simila- several similar ideas about the film. I also teared up when Andrew was the one to save MJ. Not sure if it was my favorite Spidey film, but I definitely enjoyed it a whole lot especially enjoyed seeing how the other two Spider-Man grew after their adventures. Toby focusing more on settling down with the Peter Parker person while Andrews became more Spider-Man focused with a tendency towards being more violent. I of course also loved all the sinister six that got captured. Doc Ock, Lizard, Electra, Sam and Green Goblin and the villainous tree. But if I went on about everything I loved, we could be here all day. Uh, Thanks for the episodes as always. And I look forward to your next season. Jubilant Josh. (laughs) Uh, that's a cool point. The idea that like Toby became more Peter and Andrew became more Spider-Man. I, I like that. I like that way of looking at it. It's a fun take. We got two more about that movie and then we'll wrap up there. Uh, this is from S Torrey. Uh Oh, so S Tory. So I also responded to this one through email. I listened to your No Way Home review podcast and thought it was a very fun and refreshing take on the film. I too really enjoyed it and agreed with a lot of your opinions. One that caught me by surprise was to hear someone voice out loud the reassessment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. I won't go as far as either of you to call it a decent movie, but I did appreciate the fact that one of you said that it wasn't the precipitous fall between films 2 and 3 that most people claim, and is probably on the level of Return of the Jedi from Empire in terms of qualities. Uh, And then he goes on to say how he doesn't like Return of the Jedi, and he talks a lot about that, and so I'm not going to get into that. But I basically wrote back to say, like, oh, I liked Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Right. We, I was the one who said I used the Return of the Jedi comparison, but yeah. you didn't agree with. Yeah. And I basically defended Return of the Jedi. So here's my question to you, Will. This is yeah. Spider-Man. So let's take Return of the Jedi. Okay. Spider-Man 3. Okay. Temple of Doom. Okay. And Godfather. The, we, the weakest of the first three. Godfather 3. Oh, okay. So those are all the bad members of uh, otherwise considered good trilogies. Okay. Yes. Right. Rank them either from best to worst in general or just best and worst like in comparison to the rest of their movies i'll just it's the same um okay return of the jedi is probably first but then spider-man three then temple of doom and then godfather three way at the bottom godfather three is a a huge drop (laughs) off i do that temple of doom i think actually is a fun watch and i don't know i I don't mind watching temple of doom Uh, return of the jedi to me is just uneven like i it's Mm -hmm. the 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 this the gaps are starting to show and Lucas's the blind spots are starting to come up like there's just too much time on the the puppet band the ghosts are a little saccharine the ewoks are a little lame I mean it's a really good movie but compared to how just awesome Empire was it's mm-hmm. a it's a step down I think yeah I mean I might I probably we blow up temple. the death Star again like it's just kind of yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of lame it's a trap. It just looks dumb. What are you talking about? That's great. <laughs> it's be, retroactively become great. But like in the moment, it's like, come on, dude. Uh, uh, it's a trap is a great moment. Uh, so I disagree with that. Uh, okay. I love the space battle in general. Uh, yeah. Return of the Jedi is the best of those. And I guess that's sort of my point. It's like, I don't think it's as big. a. It's a drop from Empire, which is considered a great, 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 great movie. That's more to say what Empire is to me than how bad Return of the Jedi is. Uh, I would put Temple of Doom probably ahead of Spider-Man 3. Just because, yeah, Temple of Doom is fun. It's dumb yeah. compared to Raiders, and it's not as polished as Last Crusade. And I mean, obviously, I'm not including the fourth movie in that trilogy. Uh, but Temple of Doom is, I think it's a very good movie. I, I enjoy it. I've seen it many, many, many times. It's just, it's a lot more just punching. Yeah. Where the other two movies have a little bit more to them. Spider Man 3 has good moments, but is overall bad. Uh, and Godfather 3 is, um, what happened? I put in there just as uh, almost as I put Godfather three in there, almost as like a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, it's just so we had the scale, so we had something <laughs> at the bottom, so nothing would be at the end. Um, How about Superman three? I, I kind of enjoy Superman three. Where do you put I that mean, on the list? Uh, but I also I think Superman two is overrated. So I, I think the Superman two is it, overrated. There's a fall from one to two for sure. Yeah, but um, two is still good. Two is still good, uh, but two is already, not good. Two already gets some dumb stuff. It starts happening in two. Already. I think three is worse. Superman three is worse than Spider Man three. I think that's a tough argument. Um, yeah, it probably is. This I really like Richard Pryor, and I enjoy the Superman versus Superman fight. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll but not having it. Luther really hurts it, and and it's scary. It that also created scary. the plot for Office Space. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Then the pennies. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably true. true. I think I agree with your assessment there. We have one more email here. Well. This is from Jeffrey on. I just watched the movie yesterday and listened to your episode today. Uh, this is an email we got on December 28th. I'm sort of mad no one emailed us on Christmas Day. Me too. Uh, I have no one in my life that loves Spidey as much as I do. And so listening to your guys' opinion was very enjoyable. Uh, that's really cool to hear. I listen to podcasts about comic books for the same reason. I don't have people who read all the comics I read. And so sometimes... I just like listen to other people talk about him and pretend I'm having a conversation. <laughs> yes. I agree with almost all of your guys' points and found that I have a nearly identical movie ranking as Will. Ugh. Though I'm unsure whether it was a good movie or not, I don't think the individual Tom Holland story connected well with the Spider-Verse material. Tom Holland ends up with the conclusion that he needs to work alone, but doesn't really acknowledge after the big fight that he isn't really alone, like Spider-Verse did so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's referring to the Miles Morales Spider-Verse movie. Uh, I really like that people are appreciating Andrew Garfield more. Like you guys said, he is spot on for Spider-Man in my head while Tobey Maguire is Peter in my head. And I will defend this against anyone. He has the best individual Spider-Man scenes that we will ever see live action, specifically amazing Spider-Man two, the first 10 minutes, Gwen's fall and the ending. Okay. If you guys ever end up watching either of those two movies again, here are some things to appreciate about them, even though they are not good movies. Okay uh asm makes web shooters cooler than ever they make a cool sound and web shoots out like a bullet. okay um uh, before i even get to the other points if that's one of your highlights of a movie <laughs> oh, man. cool yeah, sound effect on the web low. shooters <laughs> but it is something to appreciate like yeah probably the video game aspects of asm one and two were good like just sound design and action yeah. stuff you know like those mechanics were probably good. <laughs> Just like man, hey, Is those movies true- are good. Those movies are good. What do you think of those web shooter sound effects? <laughs> all right, all right. Here's your Oscar. Um, AS uh, Amazing Spider-Man 1, especially Spider-Man moves unnaturally like a spider. No, I did not notice that. Amazing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man quips perfectly as a man of the people and has a greater feeling of weight to him as opposed to Tom Holland's. Some CGI critiques there. Uh, And that might be true. I think there's moments in all those movies where Spider-Man jumps a little too lightly and doesn't seem to land, but um, that that very well made true. I thought the opening swinging sequence in Amazing Spider-Man 2, I think is a blast. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to watch it soon. You got to watch it Well, it's so bad. You just got to, you got to watch it. Um, I think Emma Frost makes a great Gwen. Great Gwen Stacy. <laughs> yeah, Emma, Emma Frost is really good in those movies. <laughs> um, I, you don't see supervillains star in Spider-Man movies enough. Uh, so that's it. That's all the emails we got on the Spider-Man movie review. Well, um, Shortbox is now our sponsor. We're talking about Dark Knight next week. Anything else? That's it. Play, email us. We want some more emails. Screw it. Comics at Gmail. Tell us your thoughts, please. We'd love to hear from you yeah thanks for tuning in for our new season guys I hope you like it I will I do I like it I like, I like what we recorded I think we're good right. goodbye everybody yeah, I think we're good bye hey it's Mia hey it's Allie and we host the rom-com review podcast P.S. I love rom-com each week we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com grand gestures meet cutes and of course that elusive chemistry Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boom box over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boom box. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.S. Yes. I love rom I love Campfire.